This year's been a busy one for international sports competitions in Europe. Hi, I'm Rick Steves, and after Italy hosts the Winter Olympics, Germany's hosting the final games in the World Cup Soccer Championship. The World Cup is the biggest sporting event on the planet. Soccer is not a matter of life and death. It's bigger than that. This June, 32 national teams representing the best soccer teams in the world will face off at stadiums across Germany. Sure, we Americans have the Super Bowl and the World Series, but from a global point of view, these events pale compared to soccer's World Cup. As all this soccer fever heats up the planet, I'm feeling a little clueless. So I've assembled a panel of some of my most avid soccer fanatic friends to give us an international take on what the excitement's all about. And since they're also tour guides, they have some timely advice on how to take part or stay out of the way if you're planning on being in Europe this June. We're revving up for humanity's favorite sporting event, the World Cup, next on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and today we're playing soccer. Actually, we're playing football. And for an American, that means uh, kicking around a funny-shaped ball. But for the rest of the world, football is played with your feet, right? You kick a round ball. And I got three friends of mine from different parts of this soccer fanatic world. (laughs) And we're going to learn about the World Cup because the World Cup's coming up. And I'm your beginner. I don't know the first thing about the World Cup. It baffles me. I've been going to Europe for 20 years, and I still don't get it. And I'm I'm looking forward to learning here. We've got some people online, and uh, I will just want to introduce you to my friends. I've got Turaj, who's a friend of mine from Barcelona, who's uh, Iranian. So he's an Iranian living and working in Spain, and he's a fan of uh, two different teams. I've got Ferdinando Mengi from Belgium, and I've got Stephen McPhillamy from Ireland. And uh, welcome, you guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thanks for having Thanks. us. Tell me just quickly, um, Taraj, what's your, uh, what's your excitement for, for soccer? Well, I follow uh, Spain and I follow Iran because I've been living in both countries. And I got to get to love soccer when I was four when I started walking. So I started kicking the ball around. And then when I was seven, I started reading uh, the sports magazine and the, the translated version of A Keep of France and all that. So I've been a football fan for over 50, 45 years. As long as you can read. Yes. You've been a soccer fan. And you're lucky because you've got two, two teams to, to choose from. Who's doing better this year? If one fails, the other one, I still have an excuse to stick around. Uh, yes, well, Spain has a better chance because it's a, a seeded team. Yeah. But Iran also uh, has a fair chance to go to the second round, which is a victory for right. a country like Iran. But Spain is trying to go to the quarterfinals, yes. All right. So uh, in 2006, Taraj has Iran and Spain to hope for Ferdinando from Belgium. Hi. Um, yes, Belgium. Unfortunately, we are not qualified for the for a long time uh, because we always have a good team. I don't know what happened this year. So I don't know who I'm going to root for. I think maybe Holland. Yeah. <laughs> so if your be. team doesn't make it, you generally um, yeah. take your lumps and you get yeah. get excited about another team. I, not only because of Holland, I always liked Holland. You know, forget has one of the had one of the greatest players in, in in the past, like Cruyff. I like a lot, and then to mention one, um, and they have an ex- extremely well good team this year. And um, I, I like I, I like the way they play. Being a, a, an ex soccer player when I was way younger, of course, I love that uh, that game. It's for us right. Europeans, it's something huge. Stephen McPhillamy from Ireland. Uh, this World Cup, I'm going to be cheering for Australia. Why is that? Well, it's a long story, but I'm from Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't cheer for Northern Ireland because I'm an Irish Catholic, and therefore we all cheer for the Republic of Ireland. They also haven't qualified because they failed to beat uh, soccer superpowers such as Israel and Switzerland. Uh, <laughs> a, country, a, a country that makes bloody cuckoo clocks and Toblerone. Um <laughs> Uh, so my choices are basically I could cheer for Australia or I could cheer for England. So right. the choice will be Australia. Now, is there any political hurdles that, uh, for instance, Iran is sort of a pariah among nations now. Uh, yeah. And uh, it, it, does that mean it won't be welcome in the World Cup or is Cuba, no. Iran, everybody? I think the in the World Cup, and I, I, I think you guys will agree with me, when it's football or, or soccer in this case, everybody is teaming. And if you had a good team, hey, you win. If you have a good team, we root. We don't, we're not kind of racist so it's, against it's, it's like rising the, above whatever the politics oh yeah, this is the sport in fact you know? this issue was brought up that because of the latest in uh, statements from the Iranian president Iran should be banned from this and FIFA and Germany unanimously they said there is no way that we in- intermingle soccer and, and politics no. 
And so you could have a dictator saying the most ridiculous, absurd, <laughs> hateful things, and still the world soccer community would say it doesn't apply. Doesn't we we apply. want this team because playing. Because the players, they, they're not in politics. The only time that they did not allow a team to participate in the World Cup was the former Yugoslavia because they were in war. I see. And that was the only time they banned. But generally, the soccer has united uh, the world for the past 100 years because that's not what people talk about what politics or something. Iran and the U.S., they never had relation for the past 27 years, but they have been two nice friendlies that they managed in the U.S. And the stadium was full, and the American players said, uh, because there are, there's a big community of Iranians in Los Angeles, they said, we like to play against Iran because the stadiums get full. If it's against somebody else, Americans don't come and watch us. Oh, so the <laughs> Americans will respond to the political <laughs> excitement uh, yeah. of it. Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, players, they have this camaraderie that is beyond, beyond national. Hey, that's more healthy than ever right now. It's kind of needed, I think. World you know, the, the spirit of this soccer stuff, uh, football, we have to call it, um, mm -hmm. is like you ask somebody, uh, where, you know, what is their first loyalty? And, and their loyalty might be to their soccer team over over their nation or their church mm -hmm. or yeah. their region oh, yeah. or anything. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a saying that uh, soccer is not a matter of life and death. It's bigger than that. So there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of passion. And if you're in a piazza in it Italy and you see two Italians going very anim animated about uh, this uh, subject, it, it, there's a good chance that they're talking about whose forward is better, AC Milan or Inter Milan. Really? And they're really top professional lawyers, but uh, sometimes they and you just... You see them chatting away, and they're probably so the talking soccer, not yes. law. Only so get carried away with the whole thing, of course. Uh, and don't forget that the only thing we have in Europe is soccer. And like in the States, you have basketball, volleyball, uh, uh, baseball, and, and football. Right. But we have one thing, and that's soccer. That's it's huge. Yeah, it's nothing and, bigger than that. And it's given us a chance all to get together. I mean, yeah. I, I grew up in Northern <laughs> Ireland, and, and, and three or four years ago, the Irish fans went to the Islamic Republic of Iran, out uh, to Touraj's yeah. homeland to, to play Iran in a World Cup qualifier. And the stadium had ninety thousand uh, fanatical Iranian fans and ten thousand Irish fans. Problem was, two thousand of the Irish fans were women, and the stadium in Iran had no toilet facilities, no bathroom facilities for women. So they had no uh, nowhere to go to wee during the game. It wasn't it wasn't a big problem because there was no alcohol on sale either. But <laughs> but just my point is, I mean, if it wasn't for soccer, you know, we would never have gone to the Islamic Republic of Iran. In other words, soccer is lacing the together. world together. Certainly. Absolutely. So when we think of soccer in the World Cup, is it? And do you guys, you're mostly Europeans. Do you feel like it's Europe and the world, or is it really the world? It is the world. Absolutely. The World Cup is. We have the World Series in baseball. But it's I not know, really the world. But it's yeah. more, more, it's this U.S. Yeah, yeah. no. But when you say World one, Cup, it is World Cup. It's Jap true Japan world and cup. South America, and the Koreans are coming strong. Yeah, right. China even has a well, good team. I don't know if they're coming, but uh, they FIFA, which is the World Organization for Football, uh, they have two hundred and six members. And this competition is the finals of the World Cup. That means for the past two years, all the nations in the world they have been involved in a series of elimination uh, uh, games, and this is the cream of the crop, 32 out of 206 members. Okay, so Teresh, explain to us from the start um, how the whole system works. How many teams overall? When is the World Cup? Uh, you know, what is the cycle? Okay, the, all five continents are involved, and each continent has a share of uh, teams that they can play. For example, Europe, because of a good tradition and a strong tradition of soccer, they have 14 seats in that final. Uh, Latin America has four and a half. Uh, Asia has four and a half. Africa, because of the recent performances since 1982, they have five. And when you say four and a half, people say, what is that half? That means that four teams qualify. The fifth one has to play another continent. Mm. Uh, and that's how you the winner would go. For example, Australia last time played uh, Uruguay to to go. So uh, all these teams, they play, and uh, it takes two, because it's home away, and it takes two years until those fives and those sixteens are determined. So until you determine, what, the 32 births for the World exactly. Cup? It's a two-year process. The World Cup happens every... Four years. Every four years. So you know over two years how things are looking, and you realize, ah, the Belgians don't have a, a chance, so mm -hmm. you better find another oh, yeah. team to root for. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's this uh, a, a team that was hopeless, and they're doing incredibly well, and mm -hmm. this is a big surprise. Iran's going to be in the World Cup or whatever. And one fun thing about World Cup is not that you always follow Brazil or big teams. Uh, sometimes the underdogs become the... the the, the sweetheart darling, darling the sweetheart, of, the, yeah. of, the, of the competition, for example, nobody knew about Cameroon. People said, oh, every game is going to be 10-0 and they're going to be a joke. Yeah. But they start beating teams like Argentina or Italy, and 
the, then people start following those uh, sweethearts too. So, so they get the we're waiting for a surprise team of this year too. Yeah, and, and qualifying for a World Cup can have a great exactly. impact on your country as well. Ireland qualified in 1990 for the first time in Italy. And that's also the same year that our economy changed from being a poverty-stricken economy to being a good economy because it gave us national pride back, gave us a, you know, a chance to cheer and um, people worked harder and wow. our birth rate went up by 2%. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty common for a, a, a country's birth rate to go up 2% during yeah. a World Cup summer. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. That's why the Belgian population is decreasing it's a, yeah, yeah. the last 30 it's, years. It's like a, there's a like big fun party and everybody wants to be, be invited and show up their stuff. And Americans are kind of oblivious to it. I mean, there's a lot of Americans that are cluing in now, but but I mean, we're not... We're, we're newcomers to this party, aren't we? Well, is it in the States that you that the kids usually play and the gu- usually yeah. the girls, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, the yeah. boys and girls are boys very girls. popular okay. when they're little. And then, yeah. and then they oh, yeah. sort of graduate a lot of times into football or yeah. basketball. Or yeah. It's remarkable that this country yeah. hasn't dominated soccer, though. You think of all the nations that are here. A lot of times in American professional sports, you just got some rich guy who can buy all the best athletes. And uh, you can buy the best team. The Yankees have the most money. Yeah. They always win uh, for baseball. Is that the same in soccer now? Oh, yeah. World, I mean, is there some countries that just spend more money well, to get all the superstars? One of the richest teams, I think, is the Milan teams. You know, AC Milan was, was basically owned by Berlusconi, premier of Italy. Then you have Manchester, which is, I think, the richest uh, Yeah, and they've the just world. been bought by an American of, uh, who yeah, owned yeah. the Tampa Bay, who Tampa owns Bay, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers has all been right. bought by, uh, bought Manchester. So yeah. you can buy the best team in the World yeah. Cup if you yeah. really yeah. want to. And well, they have well, good but, teams. No, but this is, these are club teams, Rick. You know, the money doesn't apply to the national teams. It's, national that's, where, that's why the World that's Cup is so That's confusing to me. So you've got amateur teams and professional teams. Describe yeah. that well, to me. Well, basically, you play for your club as a professional. You make seriously big money. St- similar to what baseball players and American football players here earn. Mm-hmm. But like Manchester United, invariably the biggest club in the world, invariably their players would not be from Manchester. Mm-hmm. Um, Milan players would be from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Brazil, Belgium, anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. Okay, so England's top team might be Manchester, and they're the superstars with the big multi-million dollar contracts. Yeah, their top team is now Chelsea because it's been bought by a Russian billionaire, hmm. Abramovich, who has mm-hmm. bought the team and has brought every best player in the world to play there. Um, but when it comes to the World Cup, then money is not relevant because Italy can only pick Italian players. Spain can only play, yeah. pick Spanish players, Iran, that. Iranian players, you know, so... So these Cameroon players are just Cameroon all Cam- players? They're, yeah, they're, they're the young lions of Africa. Yeah. What happened in Belgium is that um, they had a few good players and they were playing for like the Malpensas, you know, they, they're from Africa. Mm-hmm. But they lived in Belgium, they became, they had a Belgian nationality and now they can play for the Belgian team. So there probably is a little bit of a corruption yeah, you that can, way. you but you have to have the nationality of the team you're playing for. So and how long does it take if... if uh, this one took about five years. Yeah, one more issue on this, that for example, France for the first time in 1998 won the World Cup. And they know that was because their laws of immigration allowed so many immigrants to play for them. Most of the half of the players are black from uh, originally from Africa. From French colonies? Yes. Yeah. And then ah. Germany bec- was the last one to resist. They only have one black player in the team. And th- now they didn't th- have so many colonies. No. But the, well, the em- immigrants also were not being played. But then now uh, Jorgen Klinsmann, he's saying we should learn from the French how they open their doors. They have a better team. More on this summer's World Cup soccer tournament in Germany in just a minute on Travel with Rick Steves. It's 877-333-RICK. That's our phone number. Or email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
21 de junho, Brasil e Itália. Prepara-se agora, Tostão cobrou para Ribeirinho e mandou a boca na meta, pula a peneca, desceu, gol! Gol! Brasil! It's travel with Rick Steves. We've got some callers on the line. Again, I'm talking with my good friends who are all soccer fans. We've got Toraj from Spain, who is uh, Iranian, so he's rooting for two teams. We've got Ferdinando from Belgium and Stephen from Northern Ireland, who's rooting for Australia. It's a long story. Um, okay, we've got Scott on the line from Las Vegas. Hey, Scott, thanks for your call. Hi, how are you? Great, how are you doing? Good. What are your thoughts about soccer? Got a question? Yeah, well, actually, I went to the Bayern Munich Stadium in Munich, that where they're hosting the first game for the World Cup. And how was that? Yeah, uh, it was uh, very nice. It's a brand new stadium. It holds like sixty-six thousand people, and we got to take like a tour of it, and, and it was pretty interesting. So and, there was nothing going on. You were just touring it because it's an impressive stadium. Oh yeah, very impressive. I'm going to be there myself in June, Scott. I'm going to watch Brazil play Australia there. It'll be a oh, great game. Oh, you are. Yeah, all the Australian people will be up in the. The samba playing characters from Rio de Janeiro will be there, so it'll be a great atmosphere. And Munich will be a great so place. So, how many how many seats in that stadium? Probably is, what did you say? Sixty seven thousand. Sixty eight thousand. Is, that, nice, is yeah. that big or small by world class soccer? It's pretty big for for yeah, yeah. European norms. So. Yeah. so they go from sixty to what's the biggest stadium well, these no, days? No one no, is allowed no. to stand these days. That's no. the FIFA rule. You know, I think the biggest uh, biggest stadium is now Camp in Barcelona. Barcelona. Yes. 120,000. Right. 120, wow! Huge. I've been in the middle of of the of, the, of that. It's one hundred and twenty thousand. That's huge. Yeah. It's a, every time I come into a city, if they've got a new soccer stadium, that's a real buzz. You know. Yeah. Right. Now the, we're talking soccer because this is the World Cup year two thousand six, and soccer is going to be turning Germany. Um, on end here. And when is the World Cup season? From 9th of June to 9th of July. 9th of June to... So one month, June to early July, we're going to have the soccer. And it's a, it's not just a certain city. It's all over Germany. Is that right? Uh, 12 cities are hosting. 12 cities. Uh, you guys are all tour guides and you're all soccer fans. Any advice for people who might be going to Germany to uh, get in on this well, craziness? Well, one advice I can give you, if you don't have an hotel yet, be very, very quick, because good luck there, because it's such a popular thing. It's unbelievable. You will probably be away from, way away from the cities to find hotel rooms. You How know? many games in one month, in 30 days? 64. 64 games yes. for these 32 teams to find yes. out the winner. So 32 yes. teams, 30 days, 60, 64 games. Of course, the first round, two wow. gets uh, 32 gets eliminated, <clears throat> and right. then 32 go on to the quarterfinals and so on. But uh, I have another advice. If you're going there and you don't have a ticket, don't worry because, first of all, you might get uh, some ticket near the stadium or there's some last-minute sales. But the other thing is that in every big plaza in 12 cities, they have huge screens of 60 square meter Mm. that people go and they have fun. You get there. Of course, there's a security check. But you watch the game and is almost as good as being in a, in a stadium. Because you're surrounded by fans, too. Eh? And it's yeah. lots of fun. Oh. And uh, like the one in Hanover, is, uh, f- it's, they call them Fan Fest. So you can go and enjoy the festivity and this big fiesta just almost as, is as good as the stadium. Where do we learn more about this from a travel point of view? I, th- I think there's a, a website called BigSoccer.com that uh, mm-hmm. I've had people tell me is good. I think the best site to go is FIFA, the uh, World Cup, F-I-F-A dot com. F-I-F-A dot com. Or tickets can still be purchased there as well for certain games. I'm sure. They're keeping that money on the side as well. And your point, even if you're going to be there and not go to the game, you can find plenty of fun and look at the huge screens without a ticket. A good website would be also germany.de. Okay, good. You know, they have all the information. Scott, back in Las Vegas, you still there? Yes, I'm here. Did you, uh, are you planning on going to a game? No, I had some friends that are going. We went for Christmas instead. Uh, <laughs> but, but I do have one question. I had heard that uh, if you had tickets to the World Cup, you also had to show like a passport or something with your tickets. Is, is there any uh, truth security. to that? Or? Probably security reasons for that, hooligans and stuff. So it's definitely a security uh, reason for that, I'm sure. Also to try to minimize the black market sales of tickets. Yeah, that's another thing. Oh, okay, because right. they, yeah. Scott, thanks a lot for your call. Okay, thank yeah. you. Claudia in Cincinnati, thanks for your call. Hi, I'm actually going to the World Cup. We were lucky enough to uh, get tickets in Munich for the draw, but we are having a terrible time finding hotels that are under $300 a day. Yeah, of course. And so we're willing to go outside the city, but we don't know 
where this where a good city that's not too far that's connected with the train that we could get there maybe within an hour or so. Well, what's nice? Uh, you're going to Munich, right? Yes, we're oh. going to Munich. We've got tickets on June 14th and June. 17th. Are you renting a car? Uh, no, we were going to do everything by train if possible. Well, what renting we're doing a car. Is yeah, I understand that. Well, renting a car will be helpful because what you can do then is go about an hour outside of Munich and go to these little towns where there are, are hundreds of them and trying to find a room there. I mean, I, I told just uh, 10 minutes ago, uh, good luck if you don't have a room yet, and I'm, I'm glad that you called and said that. But that's the only option I can give you. If you stay within Munich, you will not find anything w- without under three, $400. But if you're willing to go on the train, if you go on a train for an hour, an hour and a half, yeah, you yeah. might be able to find something. Little in. towns. Look at the map, and there's very little towns in Bavaria that you, you yeah. might have more luck there. You know, Claudia, um, so I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I think you know, Salzburg is a fun town to visit, and um, you may have better luck in Salzburg. And if you did find a place in Salzburg, there's very good train connections into Munich, and you'd be settled in a very nice place to sightsee on its own. Otherwise, there's little nondescript towns, and you can bet every bet available will be have a price that'll probably be double the normal price, but uh, it still would be better than the $300 you're looking at. Yeah, we've uh, planned a family trip. My uh, three daughters and their husbands were all going, and uh, I have fr- family on Bodensee and Friedrichshaven. Well, so, it's not so far but from I there, guess yeah. that's about three or four hours. No, Bodensee is not that far. It's not that far. It's less you got on an express train from Lindau, and you're in Munich in, in less than two hours, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, well, yep. maybe we'll try that. Go for that. Bodensee is beautiful. Yep. Have yeah. fun, Claudia. We're hoping to. What team uh, are you rooting for? Uh, who am I rooting for? Yeah. Well, I'm rooting for the United States, but they're oh, not. Hey. They are not going to make it. I oh. think we're watching Saudi Arabia, and I can't remember who Saudi Arabia is. Some other team. All right. Spain. Spain. <laughs> have fun. Yeah. We just love the football, so we're going to watch whoever's there and have a good time. All right. All right. Thanks for the call, Claudia, in That's Cincinnati. Nice. Walter in San Francisco, thanks for your call. Yes, hello. I've got what might be a bit of a sacrilegious question in that my wife and I are experienced travelers, <clears throat> pardon me, and we will be in Munich in June, and actually the trip was planned a while ago, and we find that we will be there during one of the World Cup games. Mm-hmm. My question is, we're not football fans. Uh, should we still plan on staying in Munich? We actually have a hotel. Um, or should we maybe give it a pass this year and come back another time? I think, hey, Walter, that's a great question. I just want to read an email from Perry in Milwaukee because he's got a similar concern and we'll let our soccer fans give some advice. Europeans are crazy for their soccer, and we're planning a trip to southern Germany and northern Italy in late May. Will the madness have started that early? We're not interested in seeing King Ludwig's castle and, and the, the great art draped in soccer flags and regalia. Should we reschedule to a quieter time of year? So let's say somebody's going to Germany and they don't really, they just don't want all this craziness. Are are they going to have any fun? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if, if soccer is not their thing, you know, it might not be the place to go. If, if uh, there are definitely going to be big crowds, there's definitely going to be a lot of singing, but also roaring and sort of shouting along and uh, people drinking in the streets. I think Germany's laws are fairly relaxed on that. Um, the atmosphere at times, I, I would never call it aggressive, but it could be boisterous. So there'll be a lot of boisterous good fun going on and, you know, it might not be everyone's cup of tea. But then at the same time, it could be exactly what someone wants, but it on the other hand, yeah. maybe just not. I remember I was working in my hotel room in, in Brussels one night, and uh, all of a sudden there was, like, Italian riots in the street. I didn't know what was going on, and Italy had just won a, won a great soccer game in yeah. some oh, faraway yeah. country. Yeah. I mean, all of Europe is going to be engulfed in this. Can yeah. you imagine being in Munich at that time, and uh, the Germans, for example, play, and they win their game, or any, any team for that matter, and they are there. I mean, it's going to be like... Uh, as Stephen said, it's going to be a lot of it's people. It's going to be like the end of the war and, celebration. And Munich kind of is thing. a beautiful party city, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, the, and the Brazilians and the Australians will be taking over Munich. So, and, uh, Walter, what do you think? Are you going to give it a whirl or are you going to go to Prague instead? Well, maybe a one-time experience. Maybe we'll do it, it anyway and, it as you say, look for watching the match in, uh, in the public square or something. If you've got a room, Walter, that's the main challenge. Yeah, we booked that actually in September. Good for and, you. Uh, I'd go for it because yeah. you can, you know, you could go to a, you want to go to some high culture place, you could hang out in the Deutsches Museum and it's probably going to be dead quiet. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, Munich is always a busy city. M- Munich is always busy, yeah. so it's going to be a little bit more people. So, but you're going to be fine if you can handle it. Do it. Go for it. You got a room. I, I think it'd be a shame not to be ashamed to do it. But you can uh, control the degree of fun you want to have. The further you get away from the stadiums, you can still yeah. have fun and be involved in the festive uh, environment. And you can go to other towns that they're not a venue for the games and enjoy the 
happiness of people and the festive mood. That's true. It's a big festival. Thanks, Walter, for your call. Thank you. Tim in Alexandria, Virginia, thank you for your call. Hi, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I actually got tickets to all the U.S. games for the first round, so I'm real excited. Never been to Germany or Europe at all, but I was also trying to plan maybe some side trips in between the matches, maybe try to get over to Prague, and was just wondering about train connections. I know the U.S. plays in Kaiserslautern, which is towards southwestern Germany, right. and then I'd like to, can you train directly into Prague? Are there good connections there, and then get back to Nuremberg in time for the game about four days later? Well, this is a good question, and you're sort of in sync with Paul from Iowa. Uh, he sent us an email. He said, the first four U.S. games are in Gelsenkirchen, Kaiserslautern, Nuremberg, and Dortmund, and uh, could you come in on day trips away from these places? Uh, most, of these, most of these places are rather drab industrial locations, except Nuremberg. Uh, that's true. Uh, where would you side trip? So let's see, um, Tim, you're, you're going to be in what city? Well, I'm starting out, um, I'm flying into Dusseldorf and then just lodging there for two nights and going to the game in Gelsenkirchen and then was thinking about trying to get down to Paris after right. that for about three or four okay. nights. Well, I'll tell you, regardless of what's going on in the pandemonium related to the World Cup, the train system in Germany is awesome. It can handle the crowds, I think it's fair to say. And you've got, you can just assume you've got departures within the hour on express trains to any location in Germany. Germany's the size of Montana. Right. And uh, I went uh, a year or two ago, I decided to go through Germany with by and ignoring the schedules and just seeing what would happen if I just went from city to city by train. And it was like I was swinging through a wonderful jungle from vine to vine with no pauses. Everything is synchronized, so even the accidental tourist can get around quite easily by train. I think if you look at the map, if anything's uh, within a, a short distance, you can assume there's very convenient train connections, so you can splice some normal sightseeing in with your soccer fun. Any comments on that, you guys? Well, the thing is, uh, there's also Nuremberg, and if you uh, said that you want to go to uh, Prague, and maybe you should wait until you have the game in Nuremberg, and after in between games you can go from there, because Nuremberg is the closest to Prague. Uh, and there's direct trains going in uh, Nuremberg, Prague. Right. And I think in that month, there are going to be extra trains as well mm -hmm. because people are going to train. It's not like in the States where you have to fly. There, people take trains, although there is cheaper companies to fly around as well. Uh, but training is such, like Rick said, it's just a, a wonderful thing. And, and there will be extra trains as well. And I believe just this year, I think, rushed to completion for the World Cup, there is a new express train from Munich to Nuremberg that makes Nuremberg a very easy day trip yeah. from Munich and vice versa. Excellent. Sounds good. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, well, thanks for your call and have fun. All right. Will do. I'm speaking with Taraj from Spain and Iran. So Taraj is uh, rooting for two soccer teams. I'm speaking with Ferdi from Belgium and Stephen from Ireland, and we're talking soccer. And of course, in the rest of the world, that is football. Uh, does everybody call it football except the United States? Or there's a calcio? What is that word? That's the Italian word for, it actually means sock. Calcio. Calcio means a sock. A sock. Yeah. So sock yeah. ball. Stocking ball. ball. Yeah. But, in in but, Ireland, we often call it soccer as well because we also have a football called Gaelic football. Do you know why it's called soccer? No. Well, I'll tell, tell you. me. Tell me, tour guide. <laughs> <laughs> the English invented football, okay? Then, about 15 years later, this is 130 years ago, a young fella at a school in England called Webb Ellis in the middle of a football game lifted the ball and began to run with it. And the school he attended was called Rugby. Rugby college, so it became known as rugby football, the football that he invented that day by just by being different. Um, so the football authorities wanted to make themselves different to the rugby authorities, so they called themselves Association Football, and it was always spelled A S S O C, period or full stop, and it became known as ASOC, and that's where the word soccer comes from, ASOC football. Is that right? Well, there you go. And today, soccer is dominant around the world. Taraj? There's also a story that in Oxford in the 1880s, uh, the you know, students, they used to add, ab abbreviate words, shorten them, and then add an ER to them. And somebody asked, uh, uh, do you play rugby? And the guy said, no, I play soccer, shortening association, and then adding an ER, because they were adding an ER just to make fun with the words like, do you play rugger? Okay. Okay. So rugby became rugger and association football became soccer. And whatever the case is today, soccer is generally called football. Tell me a little bit about team logos, colors, all this paraphernalia that is associated. Because as a traveler in Europe, you're just going to be drenched in this kind of uh, decoration. Well, the French uh, wear blue, you know, les bleus, uh, the colors of their flag, red, white, and blue is evident. Uh, the Germans are generally, generally wearing white with a bit of black and a nice big dark eagle on yeah. their the Habsburg Eagle, huh? Well, the Belgians, uh, they have, they call them the Red Devils. Huh? They're all the devils, like we say in my language. And I don't know why they call them the Red Devils. They're totally in red. 
were red and the black shorts, I think. Um, the Dutch, I know, they're orange because it's the house of orange, you know, the, the king. And the Dutch are generally the most distinctive in a stadium. Everyone yeah. wears orange. Oh, it's, it's the Dutch are, is that right? You will recognize very, the team. Yeah. It's like a big orange, big thing. It's just amazing. Yeah. A lot of, for a lot of people, they say, I mean, Americans, we read in the paper about this, uh, like, violent sort of spirit in the stadiums. I mean, some people say there's not been a war in Europe for so long because uh, soccer matches let people uh, let off all that testosterone or whatever. Is there anything to that? I mean, tell me about these uh, hooliganism and uh, what's it like in the stadiums and uh, uh, it must be just like incredible spirit and energy. Yeah, it's a major problem in, our, in, in Europe. Um, I mean, it's passionate everywhere. South America has it too, but it just doesn't have the violence that certain nations in, in Europe have. You have the Anglo-Saxon, Germanic nations have a big hooligan problem. And what's, what strikes me as ironic, like one of the worst hooligan problems in, in Europe are the Dutch, the friendliest people in Northern Europe. And yet, yet there's a hooligan problem there as well. well among us. I read the other day in the paper, you know, that right. you know what the, 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 the Dutch uh, fans did? What? They all, they know they play in orange. And they all had a Nazi helmet. They all ordered 30,000 of them, and they put it in an orange color. That's how they're going to go to the game. Wow. I don't That's know if they will let them in there, though, but it's a Nazi helmet, not the Second World War soldiers. These are, it's like so these a, Dutch are really, I mean, oh, they're hard there's hard. almost an inverse uh, correlation there. The more yeah. peaceful you are on one end, the more you're able to vent on the other yes, end and be it's crazy like a on the soccer them. field. Yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. So this pent-up anger and, and violence that if you can effectively let it out on the soccer field. Well, in a sport way, but not You can make a case that it makes the rest of your society more peaceful. Yeah. yeah. But Drush. if I may add something, this, that the police and the organization committees, they are... Uh, they have lots of experience dealing with this, and they work with the Interpol, and they screen fans that they might be troublemakers. They take them away the 10 minutes before the game, and they stay somewhere, and 10 minutes after the game, they are released. Is that, they know so, who the troublemakers are. Yes, they have pictures. Because I can't even bring a bottle into my baseball stadium here because they're very careful about any well, kind of... A minor of right. day. I mean, uh, I, yes. I think so, yeah. and I, I, I can... I'm sure that the Germans are very meticulous about these things and they're going to do a good job with security because they have been trained for, oh, yeah. for a long time. They, they're totally on top of it, I think. And even in England there, the British government are taking passports off people who are known hooligans. And the thing is... Because it hurts the whole yeah, economy and, and when this happens. It scares people away. People who go to a soccer game and get... You know, these, these could be businessmen at the weekend or, right. or, or during, during the week, but at the weekend they like to vent off some anger, but still only 1% or 2% wants to get involved sure. in violence. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's a big issue. <laughs> We're preparing for the World Cup Championship Games this June in Germany. More with Touraj, Ferdi and Steven coming right up as we try to understand what pumps up all those soccer hooligans. It's Travel with Rick Steves. 877-333-7425 or email us at radio at ricksteves.com. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and we're getting ready for this summer's World Cup Soccer Championships in Germany with my European soccer fan friends, Toraj from Spain, Ferdi from Belgium, and Steven from Ireland. Actually, let's not talk World Cup. Let's talk just soccer anytime. I mean, when does the soccer season go? It goes from September to May, usually. September to May, yes. generally on Sundays? Yes, uh, Saturdays and Sundays. Sundays. So anywhere in, anywhere in the world, really, you can go to a soccer match and get a big, intense dose of the local oh, yeah. um, testosterone and sports spirit <laughs> yeah, and right. so on. Usually each European league has about 18 to 20 teams, and they play twice. So by the end of uh, December, half a season is almost uh, gone, and then you know the season champion. And then they play again in uh, the away games, and by May, you know the champions. And then I suppose all the attention is going towards the champion games. Yeah. yeah. But so any time of year, you can go and, and get a good dose of soccer enthusiasm, football absolutely. enthusiasm. But right now, because of uh, there is a very exciting uh, for, for, form of uh, competition in Europe called Champions League. Mm. Any time you go to Europe, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, if you see something going on, people are shouting in the bars and having a good time, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, if you wonder, because they're watching Champions League. 
I suppose it's a good way to meet a, a local friend is just to go into a bar or something and talk soccer. Absolutely. What, uh, is a, what does a soccer match cost? How much for a ticket to a game? Well, that, that varies. I mean, it depends. What more and more happens is they're called abonnees. I don't know if I said it's right. And, and then it, it's a ticket that you buy for a whole season, like you can do here. Oh, because there's so season much tic- in demand that they're just yeah. completely sold out with season and, tickets. And you can buy a, a, a season ticket, good seat if you like, and that's yours. You can see all the home games. So you if know, I just the, drop into some city, I can't just bu- go you to the can. stadium they and sell, buy a ticket? They sell some tickets as well on is the site. Is it site. like $50 or $100? Ah, Price will be varies. It, it also varies who's playing. If right. you've got a top team coming and they're playing for the championship, so the, the, the price will be a little bit higher. But okay. it's around that price. I would or say between $20 to 70 60 It depends what seat, of course, a different sure. seat. And yes. then when you go, is it just you're watching uh, how many minutes in a game? 90 minutes. 90 minutes. You're wa- watching 90 minutes of soccer, or are there pregame activities and a half No, time no cheerleaders. No, no, no. Usually no hot dogs, no... <laughs> No Sasquatch or no mascot, <laughs> mascot type character running around. It's just roaring right? at the game. For it's the, just roaring the fans and Some hard teams have soccer. mascots. Like, for example, where your cousin live in Köln, they yeah. have a goat. You remember FC Köln? They have a goat FC and they Cone, have the yes. colors and they bring the goat out. But it depends on the agenda of the teams, too. For example, Barcelona. You live in Catalonia, a very independently minded region. Right. They always start their games with some sort of a, a festivity. A Catalonian national yes. thing. Yes. In fact, yeah. sometimes they go too far and they bring a, their own flag and then it becomes an issue. But they usually started with the Sardana dance. And, Sardana, yeah. And this is the, the Catalonian, the, yes. the people around Barcelona, their and national dance. And their own uh, so-called national anthem. And was that, a, was that a problem during Franco times? Would people sort of vent their nationalism against the dictator's will? Well, the only way they could just uh, show their uh, independent mind it was to beat Real Madrid and become the champion of Spain. And that's... that's must the have w- tweaked Franco. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did Barcelona win Madrid ever and just oh, above Franco? It, yes, He must have been furious and he Champ- couldn't do anything. The champion of Spain was from Catalonia, so that was big. To and even now they're playing very well, isn't Barcelona still... Uh, Barcelona is practically the... It's kind of like when Jesse Owens teams, did so well against Hitler, you know. Best yeah. team in Europe right now. Yeah, I think Barcelona that's why soccer is huh? so, so passionate in, in Europe is because you've got all these political uh, Fascinating uh, complex, connotations eh? and religious connotations with teams. And one would be the team with the royal family and one would be the team with the working class. And, you know, in Glasgow, we've got um, Glasgow Rangers, the team mm. of the Protestant Glasgow working class. And then the Irish started coming, taking their jobs in the shipyards and... The Irish started a team called Glasgow Celtic. They were green and white, the colours of Ireland. They have a shamrock on their chest, and the grass in their stadium was cut in Ireland and brought over to Scotland. So every yeah. every weekend, the players play on Irish soil in the middle of Glasgow. So it's great symbolism. It's there. a huge thing in Europe. It's unbelievable. Yeah. People don't realise this here. Yeah, how, the casual tourist would be oblivious to all of that. Yeah. But also yeah. they play on Irish but soil. But fascinated by it, I think. Also, there's a, you know, there's a great intensity there. For example, in Milan. Inter Milan is more related to the working class and AC Milan's to the bourgeoisie and the work, uh, upper class and the ruling class. So the fans uh, are also... You get to choose. Yeah. What you want to align yourself yes. with the upper class or the lower class yes. or the underdogs or whatever. Yeah. Rome well, has two big teams, doesn't it? Well, you see, yeah, that big RC and uh, Lazio. But you have, you see, like you said, the blue-blooded people, the, 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 the president of some country and how passionate they look at the game. They do this, this if they miss a goal, they totally into the game. It's not like sit there like stiff... Uh, upper class people, or now what, really a politician live. must have to factor this in: who, what team they're going to root for, or do they just stay out of it because no, it's no, no. lose, lose? I had the prime minister of Belgium a long time ago. He was for Bruges, and he he talked about even during his political parties. And there's some know, people who would never vote for him, uh, could regardless. Be, maybe. Could be good if you're really a fanatic fan, you would not vote for him because he's from Bruges. <laughs> <laughs> but also in the national, like in World Cup, I remember 1982 World Cup, uh, the president of Italy was. Jumping and dancing every after every goal that Italy oh, yeah. scored. He was an old man, and he was sitting next to Henry Kissinger. Oh yeah, and <laughs> yeah. it was interesting that Kissinger, while dealing with some foreign leaders, came back and was always telling here in, in the states that we should get involved more in soccer. And he, actually, he was instrumental to bring the 1994 World Cup to U.S. That's right. He used his influence. I didn't realize that. And nowadays, they have all the the big teams that have VIP lo- lounges up there, and that's where they do business while watching the game. They do business, but football is part of it, and that's okay. what how happens. And that's a big deal in American professional sports, yeah. also. See? I remember when I was a kid, Pele was sort of the yeah. household oh, yeah. still name. Still is. For is us, still? still a big name. Uh, but that was like, yeah. what, when was, what decade was he? It was in the 50s. Uh, 50, 50, 50s, 80s, started until 60s. Who's the big Pele of this generation? Probably another Brazilian, Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho, Ronaldinho yeah. yeah. He's, he's a top player. Yeah. He's based with Barcelona. Yeah, then so. you have the English player, David Beckham, who's yeah. 
not maybe as good a football player, but as the big star. What is the other young guy? Um, Steven is a good player. Gerard, no, is it or is it Wayne Rooney, perhaps? Wayne Rooney is yeah. another one. It's a talent. It's a simple, but you can see he's yeah. he's. So this Brazilian guy, the new Pele, he plays Dino. for Barcelona. You said, yeah. yes. How does that happen? The great, the greatest player on earth, uh, almost playing for Barcelona. Well, he he's from Brazil. Well, just no, the, no Brazilian club could afford to pay his wages. Okay, so he's too expensive for Brazil. Uh, but in the World Cup, he'll pay for play Brazil. for Brazil. Yeah, yeah he yeah. plays for Barcelona. So that's a great. That's a nice thing that they that's actually. That's why Brazil always has such a good team. That they always have. So one a of poor the, country really can compete in the World Cup. Well, that's the thing. Uh, as I said, some people they want to go to this World Cup because that's the biggest party of the, of the decade. And they don't want to be excluded. So uh, you go there and you show your stuff and you rub shoulders with Ronaldinho or all these big players for about two, three weeks. Yeah, But the style of play, too, Rick, often reflects the stereotype of the nation. The Brazilians, when they play, have a continuous samba drum going in the background and their skill is very silky and they've got a lot of flair and passion. And then the Germans, when they play, there's no skill and no flair, but it's sort of Saxon and Teutonic and strong and disciplined and hard. A barbarian way, kind of. And then the Japanese come along and they're continuously working and working and working all throughout the game, but they're still getting a result. Uh, Turaj will tell us the Iranian style. <laughs> it's a very unique style <laughs> <laughs> that they almost beat Ireland three years ago. Right? <laughs> but uh, for example, Sean Connery is a big fan of soccer, and he's a very good commentator that I didn't know myself. He is very knowledgeable. He calls Brazil the romantic champions of soccer. Yeah. So some right. people they just like to watch Brazil because they attack, they create beautiful football regardless of the score or result. But some teams are result-oriented. They just want to win 1-0 and go home. Are there magic moments at the end of the season that you all remember from different matches? Well, there's some some really uh, memorable matches we had in the past. For example, we talked about when Russia and Belgium was this memorable because Russia had such a good team and, and Belgium won with, what, 4-2? Four, 4-2. Four to two. Four to two. You, you remember games like that yeah. and I think that Ireland had memorable games and I'm sure everybody yeah. but we remember those. You know? Mine, mine's was in 1990 in the Olympic Stadium in Rome and uh, we were in the quarterfinals of the World Cup our first ever. Italy had just beaten us by one goal put us out of the World Cup. The Italian fans were relieved and sort of sweating because their team almost lost and the Irish fans stayed on for 45 minutes afterwards singing and cheering even though we'd been beaten because we were just happy to be there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now are these these uh, superstars they're fabulously paid what, what would the top end salary be for these guys? 150,000 a week, some of them, and then that's well, basic wage, 150,000 euros. I think Beckham was transferred for 25 million euros and Zidane for something like that. So, so you're tens of millions of dollars yes. for, uh, for a five or six year contract? Or? Yes. Okay. Do they get endorsements too? Are they uh, big oh, time? Oh, many like of them. Tiger Woods, you know, he makes from, millions of dollars. Uh, oh, they oh, make yeah. a lot of money from Adidas, Nike, uh, car companies, you name it. I mean, Are there scandals that they get caught up in? Not usually, no. I think because some of these players, the reason they're bought is because the clubs want to sell their shirts with their names on the back because yeah. every soccer shirt has the name of the player on the back. They want to sell these shirts to the Asian market. That's what they're aiming at. They're, they're looking to sell shirts in Japan, Indonesia, Malaysia. And that's why Real Madrid bought David Beckham and their sales of shirts have gone up there by hundreds of percent. Right. In, in, and they in have Japan. the rights to that. Yeah. Are, are these superstars supposed to be role models for young European kids and so on, or is that part well, of the? Yeah, is Beckham started a school in England now for young players, talented players. He yeah. just started a school Beckham, so definitely the onus is on them to have a, a wholesome life, wife, kids, you know, and that type of thing. Well, so they do go to Africa and they uh, scout. Yeah, and they no, they also play with little kids and philanthropic things. Yes, and they oh. also organize games against racism, and mm-hmm. so uh, people. All these big stars, they are involved in some good causes. Yeah, too. and FIFA has said that any any club any club in Europe now or anywhere throughout the world whose fans give racist chants or, or fascist chants, then their clubs will be fined and forced to play behind closed doors, meaning they'll have to play in a stadium with no fans. Really? Now, that's FIFA. FIFA, the what world, world organising body of soccer. And how many teams are part of this? Every team in the world has to be. Uh, 200, you said? 206. 206 teams. So they will say if a team is racist or fascist, they can't play publicly. Yeah, because it yeah. has happened in the past. FIFA have, have and they forced them to play with no fans allowed. Yeah. So World Cup 2006, June 9 through July 9, turning Germany upside down. We got 64 games being played among 32 teams on July 9. In what city will the world champion be? 
The Do we series, know? 12 cities in uh, Germany. Do uh, we know what city will be the final? The final, the final Berlin. 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 So the whole oh. world is going to be looking at Berlin on oh. July 9th this year. Australia against the United States. I've been talking with uh, Stephen from Ireland, Ferdy from Belgium, and Taraj from Iran and Spain. And I want to know from each of you guys, one at a time, who's going to win? Who's your bet for the champion of the 2006 World Cup? Taraj? I go with the... Uh, the betting odds. Brazil has an 11 to 4 odd to win it. So I'll go by statistics. And, and, and in your heart, who would you like to win? My heart is either uh, Spain or, or Iran. Realistic heart. Realistic heart. <laughs> Spain. Spain. Okay, Ferdi. Well, I, I have to agree with Duraj. I think Brazil has a big chance to win it. So but the I'm betting not, is clearly Brazil. But my heart goes with, with Holland because they were so close a couple of times and they have an excellent team. I hope that the Dutch win. Stephen? Uh, my heart would go for America or Australia, any countries that Irish people helped build, or um, <laughs> I think that Germany might have a chance because of the home advantage. The home advantage really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Then. Imagine the energy in Berlin, July 9, 2006. Can't wait. You guys, thanks so much. I'm uh, actually uh, much more uh, versed in soccer right now, football right now, so I'm going to be paying more attention this year than usual, and may the best team win. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Thank Bye. you. heard what our friends have to say from Belgium, Spain, and Ireland, but I want to let Italy weigh in. I've got on the phone Roberto Becchi, who's uh, in Siena. Hi, Roberto. Hi, how are you doing, Rick? Good. Hey, Roberto, our friends just said they thought uh, different teams may win um, the World Cup this year, and nobody mentioned Italy. How will Italy do in the World Cup? Oh, we will win for sure. It's, uh, it's our year. It's for your year. Sure. When was the, <laughs> has Italy... Yes, we have a good team. We have a very good team. The World Cup will be taking the soccer world by storm this summer, but the whole season is soccer in Italy, right? I mean, what is the soccer season in Italy? Well, the, the, the season starts at the end of August and ends in June. So it's almost a whole year. Yeah, it's like a school. <laughs> and usually when there is the World Cup, the season stops earlier. I see. A little bit earlier to give the time to the players you know, to train again for the big um, World Cup. So it really is. Every Sunday, all year long, virtually, you can go to soccer games yeah. in Italy. Now, and, and, and sometimes on Wednesday, too. Robert, Roberto, we've been talking about the, the World Cup, but let's just talk about the spirit of, of football or soccer uh, when it's not World Cup. In Italy, you support... What is your team? Um, my team is Siena. Siena. And uh, I understand, Siena. you know, like there's a medieval grudge between Florence and Siena. That goes back Oh, yeah. The, the, today, soccer is basically replacing... Uh, you know, the rivalry that there was in the Middle Ages. And instead of being fought with swords in the streets, today is in the arena. Is that right? On the soccer field. That's correct. And, and uh, it's kind of a big social event every time you have, uh, you know, the, the direct rivalry between two cities. And in our case, it's Florence, obviously. Well, Florence did some very bad things to you historically, didn't it? Well, you know, yes. Yes, they did, but uh, we, we are beating them now. So can you, <laughs> little, little Siena can actually beat Florence on the soccer field. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and it, it's it's uh, the best thing that can happen to a small provincial town versus a larger, more metropolitan city is to win. Uh, you know, the soccer game is a kind of a, also a social revenge uh, in many ways. So take me to the stadium. You're, you're playing uh, Florence, and it's Siena, little town again. It's David against Goliath. What's it like? Well, the other team has some seat that you have to provide for them. But uh, no matter how big this team is that comes to visit uh, you know, the stadium, you are always two or three times more. So the, there are a lot of banners and a lot of uh, you know, yelling at each other, teasing each other often. It's a very folkloristic because it's the pride of the city against the other city. So it's a sport, but it's also passion, and it's also, you know, rivalry from the old times. So there's a lot of regional and city spirit. I remember when, when Italy was created, they said, now we've created Italy, but we have to create the Italians. And in some ways, Correct. you still have this medieval feeling that this is the city-state of Siena <laughs> against the city-state of Florence. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, 
it's the biggest team that comes here is Florence because, you know, because of the rivalry. We all prepare. <laughs> Tell me about a historic dirty trick that Siena played on Florence. Well, I, I can tell you this one, which is my favorite. Uh, once we found a pagan statue of Venus in the main square of Siena, underground, digging uh, a well for a fountain. And uh, we had the plague the same year, which killed a lot of people. So that the monks of the city of Siena convinced the Sinese that we had the plague because we had this pagan symbol in the main square. So the Sinese broke the statue and they ride two days north with their horses and they bury all the fragments around the city wall of Florence to give them, you know, the plague. So today you have that same sort of a spirit, but you're not giving each other the plague. You're just beating each other on the football field. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Hey, Roberto Becchi from Siena, thank you for weighing in and, and let's uh, hope all the best to the Italian team too. Of course. Thank you very much. Ciao. Bye. I think it's going to be a good World Cup. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com. That's where you can look up information on today's program and listen again to this and other editions of the program, including a link to podcast versions of Travel with Rick Steves. You can also submit your questions and comments for Rick from our website to be included on future editions of the show. And send us your submissions for our 15 Seconds of Fame department. Details are at ricksteves.com. The people who help bring you Travel with Rick Steves include communication support from Robin Goddard, Sonia Grosset, Rachel Unk, and Robin Stencil, with technical support from John Weist and Jonathan Lee. Our theme music is composed by Jerry Frank. I'm your producer, Tim Tatton. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.